Revolting is produced by The Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at The Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting with Steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent, episode 83. You light up my life. Content warning. Why do we have to do this? Warn people that we're going to do be doing grown-up talk here. The internet's not safe for work. You're on the internet. Take some responsibility for your choices, jabroni. Now pipe down so we can get on with the fart jokes. Hey, yeah, I, I hey. have, I, hey, man, uh, long time no see. Yeah, um, uh. you know what, uh, this will, I don't know how this will hit you, but uh, this morning, was it this morning? No, it was yesterday. I was um, starting to do, I think I, I emailed you that thing about jabroni, the word jabroni, which you had even told, you had told me in the first place. I was just sending you back information that you gave me. I was... <laughs> I, I think what it was is I was surprised that something you said was correct. And I was like, hey, look, <laughs> yeah, you well, said a thing that was right. That's fair. Uh, I did. I wanted to. So Greg Heath from Donkalope, he was always using the word jabroni. And I thought, oh, that's a funny word. I want to use that word, too. But I guess before I start using that word, I should figure out if it's like, uh, you know, I, I remember uh when I was real little, we were in Morro Bay and I picked up a paperweight. I was probably eight or nine years old and I picked up a paperweight and it had a little seahorse in it. And I picked it up and I said, those bastards. And my mom was like, what? And she grabbed me and she jerked me out of the store and she said, where did you hear that? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Actually, I thought it was just like a dastardly person, you know, like, and she was like, oh no, that's a, it's actually not a very, very nice word at all. Um, and I think at another time when I was in seventh grade, I was calling my dad a jerk off and <laughs> he, he didn't like that. He didn't like that at all, yeah. but I didn't know what that meant either. You know, so, uh, fool me twice. I went to do a little bit of research about jabroni before I started throwing the word around all cavalier like, and it turns out that it was, uh, a word come up with by our dearly departed friend, the iron Sheik. And then picked up by Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and he's used it. And so it's you know the uh, professional wrestling nomenclature. Yes, I think uh, I, I was so happy to know that, and I was also so happy th- uh, for the coincidence of learning that information right during the same period where I was learning that the Iron Sheik passed away. Um. I don't know. Just made me think about it a little more. But yesterday, as I was um, sending you that email, I was like, man, I haven't really talked to Steve in like two weeks. And I, I kind of miss you. I was like, I was like, oh, I kind of miss my guy. <laughs> I got a really nice message from a friend of mine who just started listening to the podcast. And she said that it's very wholesome. She said, I don't know how you feel about, um, you know, the, the term wholesome. Uh, as applied to you or your conversation with your friend, but she thought it was very wholesome. And that 
feels nice to me. You know, I don't want to bum anybody out. And I have this nasty habit of putting my foot in my mouth and <clears throat> saying things that I'm suddenly like trying to backpedal on, you know, because it just comes out of this, like, I'm just imagining cartoons all the time. Like all that's happening in my head are cartoons. And yeah. I will say something that is in my mind as seemingly innocent as this image, these cartoon images in my head. And it, and it turns out that it's kind of nasty, you know, like calling people who put seahorses and paperweights bastards or calling my dad a jerk off unknowingly. And, you know, <laughs> where, where it's where in once it's out of the, once it's out of the box, once the words have escaped my mouth, uh, I can't put them back in again. And so uh, I think one of the, real successes uh with this project is that uh, it it um compels me to be a lot more thoughtful about what i say and what i project and what i you know if if i'm saying it it's something that i need to stand behind uh so i I really liked and she's a very thoughtful person this woman and um i appreciated the, the the observation um that is a nice observation That is a nice observation. And I do think our podcast is wholesome. I mean, sure, we talk about um, crapping our pants and horse semen comes up sometimes. Only for you. You're the only one who brings brings that up. But please continue. Well, I mean, I just think we're a couple of fellas uh, having a having a a friendship uh, for people to listen to. And that's yeah. wholesome, right? We're just yeah, a couple well, of it, scamps. It could go. It can go either way. I think it can go either way. We, I, I think it's great. I think, but the, you know, you have like a couple of fellas having a wholesome conversation, or you're having conversations, and it's Joe Rogan and fucking Andrew Tate, and fuck those guys, and fuck their perspective, <laughs> and you know, it's it could be it could be argued that that's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the internet is, the internet is full of, uh, a couple of middle-aged white guys saying terrible white supremacist, hateful, shitty things to each oh, other. Two middle-aged and, white guys had with a podcast, like sign me up. Yeah. What bullshit are they going to expound upon? And we, you know, we're two middle-aged white guys, but the fact that somebody like this said that she thought that our conversations were wholesome made me feel like I'm doing something right. And that, you know, I'll take those victories, however large or small, wherever I can. Um, but while we're on the topic, I've been really excited to uh, tell you about this. Uh, my friend, Dirty Randy, he lives in Tacoma and he just got a knee replacement surgery. He's one of the Hodala characters down there. Uh, and I had a dream. I had a fun conversation uh, with someone about hijinks and tomfoolery. And I was, she was asking me what I was sort of, what sort of hijinks and tomfoolery I, I, I like to find myself in. And so I gave her some examples and, uh, she wasn't being very receptive. Uh, you know, I think my sense of humor is kind of an acquired taste. If you don't think that my types of hijinks and tomfoolery are funny, then, you know, there's nothing I'm going to do to convince you. But, uh, uh, the morning after that conversation, I woke up to a dream where a bunch of us were hanging out in a park and Dirty Randy fell asleep. Um, and I put a paper cutout of some balls on his forehead. 
and he, he, he got a he got a sunburn. So he had these white nuts on his forehead. And um and so I, I sent this woman a message the next day. I was like, this is the kind of thing I was referring to. Like this is the dream that I had and and this is the sort of thing that that I you know, it's it's sort of a victimless victimless crime, but it's a funny thing to me and she never got back with me so i oh i guess you know yeah uh, we maybe don't share perspective a sense of, a sense of humor <laughs> <laughs> this is what gives me the giggles <laughs> I thought, I thought it was hilarious because i've never considered that i mean i'm all about like you pass out with your shoes on and you get what's coming to you but i never <laughs> I never once thought about using the sun and sunburn and craft paper to do something hilarious. I guess there's the type of person who would find Dirty Randy there and think, oh, I better get some SPF on that forehead. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the other type of person. <laughs> you know, everyone likes to say there's two types of people. And maybe that's who what the two types are. It's the SPF people and the craft uh, silhouette of nuts people. Yes. And I, yes. we definitely fall into the latter camp. Yes. And so speaking of nuts, uh, this sort of segues into the next. Well, two here. It's just two little quick anecdotes. Uh, I went over to my parents' house. My mom's birthday was the other day. And I, I went over there and um, my mom went on to her their friend's house uh, to carry on with the celebration. And my dad said, oh, I woke up and I was just in kind of a rotten mood. Uh, I took a nap today and I, I just was like in kind of grumpy. And, and that was, you know, he's like, I usually feel really refreshed. And I said, well, here, I have a couple of funny stories to tell you involving my genitals. And he, <laughs> he's like, he sat down and made himself a drink. And, um, I said, well, um, so, uh, I went to the urologist a couple of weeks ago because I had a, a lump on one of my testicles and that caused me concern. And as you and I often times do, we encourage people to advocate for their own wellness and, you know, listen to your body and take double check. You know, if you got a weird mole, go to the dermatologist. If you got a lump in your nuts, you know, go to the urologist. That sort Get of on thing. That. And yeah. so I go in there and he said, um, I, it, I think it's, it's probably benign, <clears throat> but, um, I want you, I want to scan an ultrasound. And I was like, oh, so it's just like a mammogram <laughs> where I like stand, you know, like you, I smash my balls in between two plates of glass. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about. And, and so like, I sweated this for a f couple of days. Um, and I go into the, the imaging office and I was like, uh, just going to fucking breathe through this. This is just ridiculous. Like I'm getting, it says, it says in the notes, it says a scrotal ultrasound and I just am not into this. I'm already not into this, you know, yeah. it's, just, it's embarrassing and I got to fucking check my pride at the door and just like roll through this. So I'm looking at an issue of People magazine and people are getting called in. It's all kinds of ultrasounds and uh, MRIs and this whole place is just all about imaging. And so I hear people and then I hear my name called and I stand up and I put the magazine down. I walk around the corner and, and there's a woman 
holding a chart and she's super pretty. And I'm just like, oh, why does this always happen to you? I knew you please, were going to say that. Please let this person just be like, they're going to get my weight and my, and my, and my blood pressure or whatever. And then she's like, all right, well, you know, drop your pants and basically like <laughs> tighten, shiny your nuts. And like, and then, and then we're going to get underway. And I was like, I can't, I can't believe I don't know. I it was she like, sorry, this jelly is so cold. <laughs> no, she's like warmed it up. It was, it was all oh. really, I was like, okay, well this is fucked, but you know, we're just <laughs> rolling through it. We're just uh, going to pretend this is happens. And I'm kind of like inside, I'm having a total anxiety attack. And on the outside, I'm just laying there and I'm like, well, I'm trying to, I'm tr just doing the, the right thing. I'm trying to take care of myself. And sometimes you got to get your nuts scanned by a hot chick in a dark room. And, uh, and so then I go, um, when I'm uncomfortable, I make jokes like I always do in the ER. And, yeah, sure. Um, because every time I'm in the ER, I'm in some kind of near panic mode. So, you know, so I'm always like talking to the techs, like, oh, I bet a lot of people come in here with stuff in their ass, huh? You know, like just anything <laughs> to get my mind off yep. of what's happening. And sure enough, I go to that, like resort to that old chestnut, like, so, uh, you've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Just shut up. Stop talking. And I wish he, I wish you had said that and she had said, nope, first day on the job. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I've been doing this for 16 years. And I was like, oh, that's a real long time. <laughs> so fucking uncomfortable. That's a real long time. And she said, yeah. I said, um, I bet you got some funny stories. And I'm just like, no, oh, you, you're just going to keep fucking digging this hole, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I got some funny stories. And I said, do you like see people out in the street and stuff? And she said, yeah, sometimes I'm in the grocery store. I'm like, you look really familiar. And then in typical fucking fashion, I said, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> Last week I was elbow deep in your nuts. <laughs> like, you said no. that out loud? Oh, yeah. <laughs> No, no. Yeah. Yeah. I did say that. See, she, that's funny. Cause uh, as you know, we, we have been going back and forth all morning because I had to take my mother to the doctor today. Yeah. And uh, nothing about my mom's visit to the doctor, except that, uh, it was a, uh, an urgent, but not an emergency situation. So instead of going to her regular office, she went to the office that I go to, which is whatever. So I take her there and then the uh, nurse practitioner comes in and now I know this nurse practitioner. She doesn't recognize me because she sees jabronis. See, worked it back in. Nice. She sees jabronis all day, every day. Why is she going to remember me? But she's like, oh, hi, I'm I'm Deb. Uh, I don't think we've met before. And what I was <laughs> what I had to choke back was you had my nuts in your hand last year. <laughs> But I didn't say it. <laughs> and not just because my mom was there, because actually I think my mom would have loved that. Oh, well, maybe you'd recognize these. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I did. I did have this moment where I was like, <gasps> like I, it really almost came out. So I've. <laughs> oh, man. oh you don't remember me oh uh, it's just the best you know like you say if you're not laughing you're crying if um, you're not laughing you're crying so i followed that story up with uh <clears throat> uh a quickie about being i was it was when i was still in oakland and there used to be this picnic table up in the woods 
And I yep. would go there, like when I was racing bikes, it was sort of like a county line sign, you know, it was sort of like a fixed point that you t- yep. time, whatever, whatever, stupid bike racer stuff. And then, and then after a while, it was kind of like the giving tree. Like after a while, then it was just a place where I would go and sit. And then eventually I would go up there and lay on it and take a nap. And then, you know, basically it was just like a nice place to hang out. And I had a bunch of, I would stash cans of beer up there. So I'd go on a ride and I'd dig up a can of beer in the dirt and enjoy it and watch the bugs fly around or whatever. And uh, this one day, I guess, uh, maybe some poison oak was around or there was some poison oak dust or some old leaves or whatever. And I got some poison oak, I guess, on my glove. And then I took a piss and then it got all over my junk. And then skin, junk skin is totally different than like the rest of your body skin. So it reacted way differently. And it basically, if you could imagine... Uh, if you tied a string around a yam and then put it in an oven and then it just like blew up in certain parts and then stayed small in other parts, that's what my goods looked like. And um, ordinarily, I wouldn't go to the doctor for poison oak stuff. I just ride it out unless I got it in my eyes or my mouth or my genitals. Or, or if your genitals looked like a microwave yam. Yeah. So, um uh, I'm sitting on the table. They admit me, you know, and I'm like, well, again, like, well, fucking here we go. And uh, uh, the doctor comes in and again, she's a super beautiful, like she's not my general practitioner. I'd never seen her before. And she comes in and she's like, what's going on? I was like, well, <laughs> in short, I need a cortisone shot because I got poison oak all over my junk. And she's like, can I see? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you think I'm fucking lying? Yes. So I pull my pants down and I'm sitting on the table and she's looking at my nethers and she goes, can I take a picture of that? Oh no. <laughs> and I'm like, are you fucking, yeah, yeah, sure. And so she takes a picture of my, just my smashed, like beat up, uh, totally disfigured nuts and twigs and berries and i know in my mind's eye i was like she's gonna show that shit to to our friends at a party tonight i'm positive (laughs) of it um so somewhere out there in the world like i got a digital photo like that's just so it's so embarrassing but you know you gotta check your ego sometimes and then she gave me a cortisone shot and went away and everything's great she give you a lollipop on the way out (laughs) god damn it man I mean, something has to follow the phrase, oh, you guys aren't going to believe this. <laughs> something has to come after that. So when my dad was all grumpy and I was just like firing off all these stories and then he's he did, you know, <laughs> I guess it was probably one of the a situation where he's like, oh, yeah, and this, you know, my life's not that bad. It's going to be OK. <clears throat> gonna be okay i i had a lump on one of my testes after my vasectomy mm, yeah uh, well it gave me that gave me the worries and i went in and i got it checked out and the doctor was like oh you need more throughput you're having that? drainage issues you're having drainage issues you need to be ma- uh, masturbating more is what he said oh well that's definitely not been my problem but whatever <laughs> <laughs> uh no it's uh it's i mean that's the thing yeah i got i got snipped in december i guess you know and this is the i had a follow-up 
shortly after. And this is, he said he doesn't think that, you know, this could have stemmed from that, but I've always been super asymptomatic and I hold uh, injury and illness in really unique ways. And I always have since I was a baby, um, you know, between my appendicitis that was repeatedly misdiagnosed and I had a tonsillitis when I was two and they always were like, nope, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that, it's this thing, it's that thing, the other thing. And then, you know, I'd fucking lost my voice and all of this shit. And finally somebody was like, oh yeah, his tonsils got to come out. But I wasn't sick. I mean, I wasn't like displaying, I don't know, I display illness in weird ways, I guess. So I'm like, I'm going to be the guy who's like, goes into the doctor and say like, oh, I've had this runny nose for a couple of months and they check me out and they're like, oh, you have 15 minutes to live. It's going to be one of those situations. I'm almost sure of it. <laughs> right. Uh, so <clears throat> yeah, there are my, there are my funny balls and dicks stories for the week. Uh, we should have called this, um, we should have called this episode <laughs> junk trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other stuff that we're getting into, uh, because you and I were talking about this, um, uh, we have, we kind of have decided that we want to maybe recycle or sort of somewhat recycle a couple of ideas because um, it's all just like general topics for for endless and random conversations. So <clears throat> like you can have multiple conversations about the same things. And we have had some pretty cool ideas, I think, early on in this podcast, but didn't we didn't really know what we were doing. And so maybe now that we have a little clearer idea. Yeah, not like now. A little clearer idea. Maybe uh, we can actually do something even cooler with them. So that's kind of what we're we're double dipping a little bit. But I, I think it's a worthy topic to double to, with which to double in which to double dip. Let's to say. double dip our stuff. Yeah. Yes. Um, so before we get into that, you want to do music picks and then a word from yeah, the sponsor? Yeah, we'll do music picks real quick. Okay. Um, this week, I'm picking uh, one of my all-time favorite records, which is Quicksand's Slip. Uh, the 30th anniversary edition just came out. And so I picked it. I picked it because it's the 30th anniversary of it coming out. Um, and as a result, they have, there's a, uh, 30th anniversary, er, eh, there's a 30th anniversary edition with a 64 page insert in the gatefold of the record mm. with photos and all kinds of cool shit. I think it costs a hundred dollars. Uh, so I'll probably never have it because hundred dollars ain't much for something like that though i was like no way what are they gonna do release it on marble vinyl or an embossed cover or something that's a total cash grab but you know it's such a good record and i can't believe it's been 30 years they're actually going on tour again uh they're playing at uh bimbos in san francisco and numos in seattle and i saw that they were playing in your neck of the woods in boston as well <clears throat> and it's been a long time since I've seen them and I would be, I would be willing to, I'd be willing, to, I would love to see them again because Walter doesn't age and They're so I would good. be, I'd like to buy that record just cause it's, you know, you can't have too many of the same record if it comes with a book. Yeah. I, yeah, maybe I, you're right. I should get it. 
I will see them every time I can. I love I love uh, Walter. He just seems to have he just seems like such a goddamn nice guy. Yeah. And I saw them on that tour in what 1993, and mm-hmm. it was the loudest. It was the loudest show I've ever attended. I think Seaweed opened for them. Funny, funny, because I saw them in '93, and. Uh, I walked into my friend Kevin's house where I was staying. And do you know who was standing in the living room? Aaron from seaweed, Aaron from seaweed. <laughs> you know, who I, do you know who I went to see quicksand with that night? Again, Aaron from seaweed. They didn't, oh. they didn't open, but he, uh, he told me that he actually, when they're, when quicksand's first seven inch came out, nobody really knew anything about him. Cause there was no information on the seven inch. He took that into the sub pop offices and he put it down on uh, Bruce Pavitt's desk and said, you got to put a record out for these guys. Hmm. Little, little weird, small world, full circle thing there. So small. Yeah. I was so psyched to see them in 93 and I didn't know seaweed at that point, um, but they were so good. So I got... Um I got into seaweed then, but when quicksand came on, I was standing somewhere middle of the crowd and the first song, I think, pushed us all back three or four feet just sonically. It was so heavy and loud. I was like, ooh, yeah, they're good. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. And uh, what's his butt from uh, Mutoid Man is playing guitar with him now or did. Yeah, he was on the last <clears throat> tour. Well, what I was going to say, because I was listening to I was watching a, a, a video that he is in and I know his name and it is totally escaping me right now. I don't Ooh. know. I was watching a video for Brushed and what uh, occurred to me was that Quicksand used to be a very heavy band with interesting songs and now they make this really interesting shoegaze music yeah which i uh, also really love they've evolved for sure yeah yeah um who were whose name were you trying to remember oh what's his face who's playing guitar he's in from cave in and steven brodsky steven brodsky yes yeah he is a a ph s-t-e-p-h-e-n uh, and he's one of the few S-T-E-P-H-E-Ns who I trust. Yeah. Stephen King, Stephen Brodsky, and Stephen Colbert. They're the uh, only ones. Um, and if you're out, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a trustworthy S-T-E-P-H-E-N, like, uh, you know, uh, put your name in for consideration. Uh, but, uh, you know, until you've proven yourself, I'm, jury's out. Jury's out. Uh, I had to look through the notes this morning. I've been, I <clears throat> uh, have done a pretty big internet push on this, uh, the completion of this mural, uh, at ritual records in Bellingham, Washington. I just finished that at the tail end of oh, last week, I guess. And, um, let me think, uh, I was trying to figure out music to put with a video. I did a time-lapse video of the whole Bandango, and I picked Washer off of uh, Slint's album Spiderland. And I know we've talked about Spiderland before, but I don't think, uh, interestingly, either of us have picked that as a music pick. Um, so, uh, 
I mean, what what else can be said? You know, it was a stroke of musical genius. It was influential uh, for to, even to people who don't even know they were influenced by that record or that band. Um, it's wild because by the time that record came out, they'd already broken up, and it just was like. I don't know. It's a, it's also it's a, probably almost exactly 30 years old. Um, 91, 92, would, maybe 90, 91 or 92. I remember I, I was, um, uh, I was at the kennel club in San Francisco and we were seeing urge overkill and we were with a friend of a friend who worked at touch and go records. And I think he got us into the show. Like we got comped tickets or whatever. And we're standing back by the DJ booth and that album was playing. I don't remember the guy's name. He was really cool. He's like, Oh, let's see that record. See the writing on the label. I said, yeah. And he's like, I wrote that. Like that's fucking cool as shit. And so, you know, <laughs> here we are 30 years later talking about this guy who wrote the label on the Spiderland record, who, which is, you know, one of my all time favorites. It's a great, great record. What's amazing to me. I love it all on its own, but what is also amazing about it is that Steve Albini didn't record it. No, he didn't. And they did a lot of work together. I don't know what they did together or didn't do, but it sounds exactly like a record that Steve Albini would make. It's true. They are. We've talked about the quiet, loud, quiet, loud. Yes. Yes. Uh, 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 ing- ing- ingredients. Uh, no. Uh, formula. Dynamics. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, that is definitely one. Of, when done correctly, it's one of my favorite uh, aspects of musical composition. And they do it just, I mean, it's just, it's a, per, it's a perfect record, like start to finish. And they Facts. also have done a, they've done a remastered thing with extra tracks. And um, I think a DVD of the Breadcrumb Trail, which is a really, really brilliant uh, documentary about Slint and, you know, the their, their inception and their ultimate implosion and all the bands that they went on to, Tortoise. Uh, there was before Slints, a couple of the guys were in Squirrel Bait, which is also one of my favorite bands from back then. So, yeah, that's uh, good stuff. And if you haven't checked it out, yada. Yada. So with that, let's take a word from our sponsor and we will back be back uh, momentarily. Revolting is sponsored by the homies at Shimano North America. They're hoping that you bunch of knuckleheads will check out their sweet new road wheels. Have you seen them? At 105 Ultegra and Durace levels, they have carbon disc wheels you can afford that are as well made as everything they make. One thing I really like about them is they're not rolling billboards. They're, they're low key. You know, they're aero, they're tubeless ready. They're all those good things too. Do us and yourself a favor. Give them a look at road.shimano.com. All right. All right. Uh, what, are we, what, what are we talking about today, Robot? Well, we've talked about the things that inspire us before, but we were <clears throat> possibly less inspired when we did that than we are now. So we're going to talk about it again and hopefully in the process inspire our listeners to check some of the stuff out with the idea that they might also be inspired and we can <laughs> all go forward in our lives with a growth mindset and a stupid grin on our face places. And also inspiration. Don't forget to say that. 
Don't forget to say that. Uh, man, it can come from anywhere. Like I love artistically. There's the stuff that I love and there's things that I'm like immediately drawn to. Um, uh, I should have pulled out the other book that had all the notes about artists. I like because I'm not good with names, but, um, and I don't remember what I said last time we talked about this. I probably went to my two, excuse me, two standbys. Uh, uh, Egon Schiele is a painter from Austria, early 19th, late 18th or 1800s, early 1900s, who is sort of like, you know, a draftsman well beyond his years and everything he does and, and his execution and his physical, uh, uh, conveyance is just, is just, I just think it's so lovely. Um, and, uh, another graphic artist, a comic book or a graphic novel. I don't even know what you call it. Illustrated book drawer uh, named Al Columbia, but he's also a filmmaker and he's a musician and total enigma. Um, but his work, oh, something that I've always been drawn to in, in my own work is, is uh, trying to maintain a juxtaposition between something that is disconcerting or um, uh, makes a person uncomfortable and then something that is very endearing and something that's very familiar. Um, uh, Brian Ware does it really well also. Um, but he's just on another fucking level. Like that guy is unreal. Uh, Brian Biggs is another guy. He's a cyclist, Philly cat. Um, he had a book called Dear Julia and a, uh, and a book called Frederick and Eloise. And it leaves you like, it's like a warm, it's like the memory of a warm hug that you'll never get again. It is so oh disconcerting, but it's so beautiful at the same time. And that's something that I find endlessly inspiring in my own visual work. Uh, I interrupt. I was interrupting you. I think you were going to say something. I, uh, what I was going to say, I, I, I wanted to say two things. Um, the first one is that the mural you did at Corey's place is f- unbelievably, unbelievably good. Thank you. Um, and I was listening to last week's episode and we were talking about this podcast. You were talking about how mostly you don't care for your own work. It doesn't do anything for you generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then I was just listening to you just now talk about this other guy who does this same sort of juxtaposition you do, but he's on another level and I don't think he's on another level. I think you're on the same level. I think, I think there, there's some, um, there's some, uh, underlying self deprecation there. Mm. Uh, because actually when you were talking about that, um, mural a second ago, I was like, that mural has to be a t-shirt. <laughs> Uh, uh, okay. I'll, I'll talk to Corey about that. I don't know how one would go about doing that. Well, you take a piece of tissue paper and a piece of charcoal and you just rub it. You do a rubbing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then you've got like a 12 by nine (laughs) foot. I think if a big photo was taken of it and, um, uh, 
Also, did I say, I said Brian Biggs, Brian Biggs and Chris Ware. I think I got those names right, but I might have also mixed them up in my mind. Um, I think if you took a, like a large format photo of it and there could be some sort of digi digitization that could maybe occur. I don't know. That's way beyond my capabilities, though. Got, got to get on that. Anyway, um, uh, there's a lot of visual artists I like. And sometimes what I like about it, I like cartoon style. Um, there's a lot of visual artists that I find inspiring less because any particular one of their images turns me on so much, but actually they're, they're just artistic relentlessness inspires me. Mm. Um, I like those two words together. Artistic relentlessness. Yeah. You just, it's like, you just make, and even you make through like the down times and the, and the boring parts and, um, and, uh, the uninspired parts, but you're just constantly, you're still like hammering it out until you get to a place where you feel good about what you're doing. If that's even a thing, you know, we talked about that with bands all the time. Like do the band, do, do our favorite bands love them, their output as much as we love their output? No, Definitely I don't not. think it's, I don't think it's possible. And then I, I feel sad for them because they can't hear how fucking powerful what they have made is. But then the point that you made was that, uh, no, but they have their own bands that they they listen to that is just as powerful, you know? Well, this is what I'm <clears> saying. <throat> um, Chris Ware and Brian Biggs, you put on a different level. I don't think, I think you just put them on a different level because you don't like your own band that much. Mm. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. I had a really funny experience. I don't know. I'm, a, I'm acquainted with Brian. I mean, he, he lived in the Bay Area and I did have a show of drawings at one point and it was a big like parlor style. You know, there was like, I don't know, a hundred framed drawings and paintings all up on this big gigantic wall. And I was looking at Dear Julia a lot and Dear Julia has uh, is about a about I don't I can't even explain it. But this guy who may or may not be able to fly or be, is he crazy or can he actually fly? And uh, the drawings are so good and the story is so, so subtly creepy. Um, and it deals with heartbreak and loss and um, it's just it's it's brilliantly drawn. And uh, there was a one little corner this one tiny little frame drawing. It was just thrift store frames, like dozens of thrift store frames. And this one drawing that was framed somewhere on this, in this menagerie of stuff. And uh, Brian happened to, I don't know how he came to find out about it, but he came to this show and it was the first time I met him and we were standing there and he looked, he singled this one drawing out and he goes, Oh, that's how I paint bathroom tiles. And I was like, I totally fucking ripped off the way he painted bathroom tiles, which is so like indescribably simple. If you think of a square, you think of the square being gray. You think of two sides of it being highlighted and two sides of it being like two edges of it being in shadow. So mm -hmm. it's a three value square that was in this drawing, maybe a quarter of an inch by a quarter of an inch. And he fucking saw that in amongst all of these visuals 
And he's like, oh, I do my tiles like that. Did you, did you look at, I think he asked me and I was like, oh no, that was totally like, I did that all on my own. Um, and if he listens to this, like I said, he, he's big into bikes. Uh, he, he might, this might cross his radar and he'd be like, God, I, I knew it. I knew that guy was <laughs> ripping me off. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe so, you know, like I'm sure that he has his people that he looks to that, that lights his fire or, or does Al Columbia or did Chile or, uh, Chris Ware. I don't know. I mean, this is the thing when you labor over something, you become so intimately familiar with it. You, uh, you don't, it doesn't strike you, you know, it doesn't like give you the gut punch or really like blow your hair back. Like when you see something else brand new for the first time or hear something else brand new for the first time, it's like, it's, it's like changes you kind of cellularly. And that's what I love about this is that it's so instantaneous and why I'm, why I feel happy and, and satisfied with my output in as far as this is concerned because it's just a conversation that I have with a friend and then it comes back and I hear it for the first time with everybody else, you know, which is, you know, I'm not paying, not to say I'm not paying attention to what we're talking about, but it's just kind of, I'm not internalizing, not, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> internalizing any of it. I, I internalize it at the same time. It's made available for anybody to listen to. Yeah, I mean these are improv. These are improvised to a, a, a large degree. I think when you make a piece of, uh, when you make a painting or you make a short story or you do something like that, I think part of the problem for the person making it is you know what you're going for. You know what like the whole idea is you want to get across. So, so the the parts of it that might be really good, you're just like yeah 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 yeah, but. I was trying to, what I was going for was this. So you're dissatisfied with it, but everyone else is like, no, but look at it. And you're like, yeah, whatever. Like I may, you know, yeah, I painted a plaid shirt. Yeah. <clears throat> I think if I did it, if I was to do a mural, like if I was, if I was to do a mural like that and just sit up close and get it all right, or not all right, but like make all the marks that I envision that I want to make. Um, and because it's, if I never walked across the room from it and I just worked up close section by section by section by section, and I never looked at the whole big piece in its entirety until the last day that I was so cross-eyed working up close to these things and then saw the whole big piece for the first time for the, for the first time at once, or rather saw the whole thing at once for the first time, I might have a different reaction or a different response. I, might hold I think it that's differently. right. I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, Cause you get all caught up in all the marks, whatever you oh, we know. What, man. Yeah. I've never done anything this big before. I did an installation, like a site specific piece at a gallery in New York uh, in 2008. And that was uh, for an installation of these little diorama boxes that I made. And um, otherwise I'd never done anything this big. So, I would, I would kept going back and I would take pictures. Like when you take, when I take a picture of a drawing or a painting and I look at the picture, it flattens it in a way that I can see deficiencies or I can see places that I want to further work on a little bit more. And, um, and I was doing that I would take a picture with my phone and then I would blow up these sections 
and see sort of an imbalance in values or something. And then I would take a screenshot of that and then I would do, I would circle them. So I would have like a library of all of these snapshots with circles around them. And then I would go in and work on that. Um, and then I would go back. And like I said, that, or maybe I, maybe I didn't say it here, but the last day I was on and off the scaffolding, um, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 times so much. So I think I sprained my big toe cause it was all swollen <laughs> the next day. Uh, That's, that makes sense. It's interesting <laughs> to hear you talk about it that way. I've been talking about um, writing with a friend of mine, and I was saying how how linear and geometric it can be. Like, I I write paragraphs and I think about them as chunks, and sometimes they move around. Like maybe you fuck with the with the timeline of it, or you know you you screw with the structure of it, and the longer a thing becomes which is similar to the larger a piece you work on for you would be like the heavier the whole thing seems and the harder it is to move things around and keep them balanced yeah that makes sense uh and especially with writing because you're you know i don't fancy myself a a writer but i you know i can put a sentence together okay and um i find that like you said the bigger the piece is uh, the less maneuverability there is. And then you're like cutting out whole big chunks. And like, this is something I, I like this. I kind of like how this flows, but it should go somewhere else. And then exactly like exactly. keeping all of those pieces in your mind and, and jostling. It's like, it's like the, the memory game, you know, like you're trying to remember what you saw and where it was supposed to go. And, and it's it's really difficult. I don't know if that's like a standard writing practice because I've never taken a writing class before, a creative writing class before. But I I can't believe that it would be because it's so uh, incredibly inefficient. <laughs> uh, there's an interesting one of my favorite writers is a guy uh, John McPhee who wrote a lot of nonfiction about environmental science and other things. He was in the New Yorker a ton. Like he's a legend, John McPhee, but he would write uh, all his quotes and observations for a story on these strips of paper. And then he would move them around physically Mm. uh, to make the thing work. Well, fuck, Uh, then that's exactly it. You just have a physical version of what you're, what we were just talking about. I was thinking like trying to do it mentally. Well, I try to do it mentally. I don't put, have a physical thing and cut and paste is a, is a, you know, like you have it, if you can hold the whole thing in your mind, usually, and I'm not, I'm not John McPhee by leaps and bounds, but I definitely have been working with a thing and, and I'm there. Okay. I have this paragraph about, um, getting an ultrasound on my nuts and I'm like this, (laughs) this is what's compelling here. I got to move it to the top. (laughs) Uh, you know, somebody, I, I still really, the bike snob, you know, um, I, I have his books. I've read his books. I've, I've always loved his website. I love the way that he writes. Um, I like conversational writing. It's something that I've always been drawn to. Um, yep. a lot of the early issues of vice magazine where it was, you know, uh, evident that the person wasn't like a classically trained writer, but they certainly knew how to put a good paragraph together, like a compelling and engaging paragraph. That's, that's what I'm attracted to is people who don't know what they're doing, who do it well anyway. And, um, 
uh, I've learned a lot about even still, like I was kind of thinking about this today, like are blogs even still a thing? Like, I don't know. They, I, I mean, we're closing in. I've, I've been doing this for f- almost 14 years. So it's got to, they got to be coming back around at some point. Um, well, I you and I are ready. <laughs> I get a lot more people, <laughs> a lot more people get in touch with me or they'll comment on a post that I wrote on Instagram and I'm like, no, it's, it's gotta go the other way. You no, know, it's over like, there. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but what I'm, let's see, what, where was I going with that? Um, uh, oh yeah. Just, uh, I think like a lot of, a lot of techniques I've picked up that I've applied to my website and, and I love this, like the one thing that I got from the bike snob is that it, there's the introduction and the conclusion are, are somehow tied in and I yeah. wouldn't just finish a blog post with like, and I and have a good day or, you know, like <laughs> don't forget to suck it or whatever the case is. It's just like, a, it's just a dead end. But if I can somehow tie that into the beginning of the blog post, um, and sometimes I'll even like, I'll just conjure up a title and write like a nonsensical paragraph. And then I'll write the ending and then I'll just fill in a bunch of shit in the meantime. And all I have to do is like a vague transition between the last thing and the conclusion and it's done, you know, like it's so simple and really maybe kind of formulaic, but it's, it's, I it's think been that's a solid experience. technique. I, one thing that I've tried to do, I think be, when I was really trying to be a writer, I was writing real hard. And so when I wrote things, they would be very written. You know what I mean? Like I would use fancy words and I would try to be, you know, uh, really evocative and, and whatever. And I think as I've gone along, I, I've realized, like, don't say that word. If you could use a simpler word that means the same thing. You know, like, don't, don't, you don't try to impress the, the reader, just like get your shit across to them. Like just simple it, sim- it's like dumb it down, not, not dumb it down. Just stop trying to do tricks and start trying to ex- just express ideas. It's hard enough to express a, a goddamn idea. Yeah. It kind of simplifies things. It definitely one thing that I learned, uh, is, is, uh, when I first got on Twitter and Twitter, man, Twitter used to be so good. And there was so, there's it still has its moments, but there were these feeds. These people were saying such funny things, and like this is, I guess, sort of the um, kind of the blueprint of a joke is that it, it it like builds up, it kind of peaks, and then there's the and then there's the punchline. And at the time, you only had 120 characters or 130 characters or whatever it is, and to say something super funny with only 140 characters that's a gift you know yeah. and so i think if anything if if anything inspired me and as far as writing is concerned it's it's trying to hone my craft by saying as little as possible to deliver as much of a punch as i could with as few words as possible uh, obviously yeah. not applied verbally because we're just like run all over the place here. But, you know, in terms of writing, I think that's a really beautiful uh, skill to have that I try to attain. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. There's a, a constant tension between trying to address everything, but not run on and on. So it's like, keep it short, but don't forget things. 
I often write a thing and then I go back. I remember three more things and I tuck, I'll tuck them in. I'll tuck mm-hmm. them in. But nobody should follow my method because it makes no money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Get uh, the. Well, I had a funny conversation. Nah, I probably won't bring this up. Uh, just, <laughs> I the, bet the, you will. The, the, the punchline of it is uh, I didn't get into the bike industry to make a living. And that was my response to to somebody recently because uh, you know like why are we here we, we enjoy toys yeah hey uh, did you see uh, in today's post I was able to track down all of the golden toity the Sepuantos awards uh, from 2005 and 7 7 won an award that year we did uh huh they did it did yeah is there a golden not, toilet seat anywhere on the premises at 7HQ? A golden toilet seat? If there is, I haven't seen it. I was in there today. I've been all over that place. It was, uh... Let's if see. someone gave it to someone at 7, they still have it, because they have everything that everyone's ever given them. It's the it's the Bruce Gordon and Mark, Mark Norstadt from Paragon Machine Works. They had this award ceremony that they used to do, um where they would give the golden toities and it was kind of like a tongue-in-cheek award ceremony they started back in anaheim they'd wear smoke smoking jackets and they'd all wear fez and get an offer into these silly awards to random people i remember uh there was an advertisement with featuring gary fisher and he's wearing he's holding a, a welding torch and he had like a welding <laughs> hood and goggles on or something and he won a best frame builder that's never built a frame Right. That year. Uh, what was it? Oh, the bike company most successful with rich white men. Seven <laughs> cycles. 2000, 2005. Sean Walling, he's uh, he's ahead of his time. Yeah. With some of those. Um, so what do we got? Uh, things that we, that's stuff that inspires us. Um, I wanted to he, shout out Kim Jong-gi. Um, oh, I wanted oh, to shout out Kim Jong-gi, uh, who is a Korean um, artist, cartoon style, really the fucking king. Mm-hmm. Super Just, rememberer. He's a super rememberer. He can draw anything or could. He, he passed away a few months ago. Uh, yeah, six months unexpectedly ago or passed away. That's why I wanted to shout him out. Uh, people should go see his, his stuff either somewhere on the internet while he has a couple of really brilliant books available too that are you know uh exquisitely made and have uh perfect reproductions of so much of his work and he really was i mean there are lectures on youtube where he's talking and drawing and it's something to behold i i can't think of anyone who could do what he did he's like a machine that art came out of Mm mm-hmm you, I just to watch him draw was like, what? Yeah. You just did that, and it's not like uh, I don't know. It's all like the perspectives all come out perfectly. All the sizing and scale is right. You're like, what? What? I also yeah. am like super attracted. I really like black and white art. Um, like going way back. I like Velasquez from way back. Where you know, I like uh, I like chunky things. I don't. I don't know. Uh, but Kim Jong-gi was the master. He was, he was a badass. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, shoot. I mean, there's so there's so many. There's like, I could just go on and on and on about this. But, it, you know, as we said, we talked about last week, I felt kind of like sort of creatively constipated. Um, and I sat in the creek with a sketchbook and I read the Moonlight Chronicles. And, uh, oh, and I said that those were available through... Um, the guy's website, but I don't think back issues are available anymore. I also said that Kyle Kinane told me that he had a bit in his stand-up routine about getting shit on a pillow, uh, but that's not that wasn't uh, what he, that's not what he said at all. It was about burning his laundry, um, which is exactly what you did. Uh, that's exactly what I did. It looked like I had shit on my pillow, but I actually just burned it in the dryer. And if I hadn't seen this stand-up bit before it's called something i think it's called i liked his old stuff better uh and in the first third of it or so he talks about miracles finding miracles in the mundane and it is so good it's very funny because he's a very funny man but it is i don't know it's one of it's one of those things that i needed to hear when i heard it because it resonated so profoundly with me and it's in like I, like I said, it's very funny, but it's something that I think everybody needs to kind of everybody needs to hear and maybe kind of chew on a little bit. It's far deeper than most anything I've ever heard in a stand up routine before. That's for certain. Um, so, yeah, finding finding inspiration, sitting in a creek and <laughs> opening your mind a little bit, you know, maybe take a little bit of mushrooms, maybe uh, go hike, go, you know, uh have a conversation with somebody who you wouldn't ordinarily have a conversation with. Um, you know what I think I, I've been thinking about this just recently cause I've had some success with it, but sometimes I, I, I feel like I just need to indulge my ideas a little bit. Like I have a bad habit of having an idea and shutting it down before it goes anywhere. Cause it doesn't immediately strike you as something that's going to be great. So you're just like, well, I'm, Backburner that. Yeah, like I don't know where it goes. And and the idea, I'll give you an example. The idea might be, you know what? I'm going to go in the comic book shop and buy a stack of comic books. Now, I don't buy comic books generally. I like comic books. I like comic book art. I like, there's almost nothing I don't like about comic books. I just kind of don't make time for that in my life. Uh, but it can be very inspiring to go just like, grab a stack and let your brain go into that space. Um, or like I was at the bookstore, I find bookstores super inspiring. Uh, and it's that there's books that I want to read, but also the covers of the books are so well designed. There's so much beautiful book cover design. Um, and I love even, that space of just browsing and like thinking about things. Even children's books, like I love children's books and oftentimes the stories are, you know, the stories are funny or really sweet, but the illustrations are always something that I've always, you know, since obviously since I was a little kid and still uh, is really inspiring or really engaging to me is, you know, the bookstores oftentimes they get like they get a little overwhelming. So I have to like, you know, grab one thing and put myself in the corner because otherwise I spin out and I don't know what to do. And then I just I leave. Yeah. Uh, 
Hey, you know, I just looked at the time and we're closing in on an hour. So yeah, yeah we're fucking this thing up again. Oh, let's get well, that's an, yeah. Okay. We already knocked out question two, too, but I've got a, would you rather let's do it. It's not this one. And this came from, uh, Sarah. She's probably not going to hear this, but I was, on, laying a bu- I was laying a bunch of them on her and she came up with this and I've been thinking about it nonstop. Let's have she it. She said, would you rather go to prison for 15 to 20 years? That five years is a big span. So let's just say 15 years you're in prison or live for the rest of your life in a cave. And like, you know, food isn't a deal. You're probably like you have really minimal stuff, but you have no contact with anyone. You just live in a cave and by yourself forever. Or the rest of your life. So I'm only going to live three or four more years. We've covered that before. But so you said 15 to 15 years in prison or however much time I have left in a cave. And the thing about the cave is you're basically in isolation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can. Are you allowed to leave the cave? Yeah, you have a little maybe it would say you have a little circumference uh, that you can travel. Um outside of you know maybe let's do let's do like a one mile circumference or a two mile circumference outside of this center point which is your cave and you're not going to be hypothermic like you'll have you know supplies and clothes um and fire uh food just magically a bag of non-perishables will get dropped off once a month Uh, but you Mm. don't see anyone you don't hear anyone you have no communication with anyone and I don't know, she didn't really specify, but maybe you have a, maybe, you know, you have pens and pencils and a book and, or a pad of paper or something like you have something to, you know, a chair. Real, real basic creature comforts though. Yeah, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. I think prison will fuck people up. It, it fucks people up. Mm-hmm. Um... What what were your thoughts on this? Well, I've known I've known guys who've gone to prison um and they've said just about unilaterally, you can't just be like a neutral. You can't just be like, "Oh, that's just, you know, that's just robot. He just does his thing and mops the floor and stuff." Like you kind of got to for your own safety, you kind of got to aff- affiliate with a gang. And so I've known people who are you know, like they're like me, but they said on the inside, I'm in the Aryan Brotherhood. Like I have, I have to be in the Aryan Brotherhood. And I don't know, I, there could be somebody who's been in prison and they're like, absolutely, that is not the case. You can totally be the fucking librarian or whatever. You're just like the, the neutral guy. But um, in the experiences that the people who I know have had, they had to affiliate with a gang, even though that's not who they were on the outside. Um, uh, and um, I, knew, I knew one guy who was in, he was just in jail, not even prison. And he said that the only way that he made it through that was to be like, nobody fucks with the crazy person. So he went full like 12 monkeys, Brad Pitt, crazy. Anytime he was awake, he was acting like he was insane because nobody fucks with the, with the mentally ill people. 
So he had to pretend he had to act like a mentally ill and convincingly so much so that when he finally got out, he was fucked, kind of fucked up. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I'm not a fighter. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think I would fare very well in prison. What's interesting. So the day after tomorrow, I actually, I just, I'm part of this prison mentors program. Uh, so I, I'm part of a group and we mentor a single prisoner in a prison that's near us. And so, so far I've only written emails with the guy. Um, and we're actually, I'm going to see him for the first time day after tomorrow. Um, and that will be my first time inside of a prison. Not that I'm going to get the skinny on the first visit, first <laughs> visit, but I just think, I think it's a brutal environment and I probably would go with the cave. I think I'd go with the cave too, which just sounds, oh, I'm going to say it sounds 40% super duper appealing yep. and 60% not appealing at all. But prison, even though you're going to be out in 20 years, that's still like 1090. To me, that's like 10% appealing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I'd fare very well. And then, I do love you know, a violent as, beating every now and then. No. <laughs> as I was thinking about that, I have been acquainted with other people who were in prison for long term, um, not directly acquainted, but they seemed, they ended up being in kind of like a, like they were sort of the mentors, you know, they were a little older um, and they taught classes and they did all this stuff, but you know, you're still subject to like a lot of people get sick because the food is terrible. And so you're not getting like proper nutrients and the medical care is substandard. I would say if you had, a, if you were in the cave and you were like, Oh, I got lumpy balls, you might be able to go in and get that checked out. But I, you know, maybe not, maybe you just out there and I see what you did there. So in the opening paragraph, you talked about your lumpy balls and now as we're wrapping up, you're just calling back. <laughs> I mean, I think the rude thing about prison is that in prison, you're not in, con you're not in control of yourself, your day. At your, no. And, I and at least that. in the cave, you'd be able to, you'd have some freedom of your own thoughts and behavior. Schedule when you want to go to sleep, when you want to yeah. wake up. Yeah. Yeah. No. Fuck. Just that. That by itself, I would, I would go with a cave ten out of ten times because I really am not a big fan of being told what to do. Uh. All right. That's outro. Thanks for listening to Revolting. It's been our sincere pleasure to amuse each other. Oh, each other and all of you. Uh. While you listen in and your voyeur, you voyeuristic fucks. And yes, we know that's not what a voyeur is. Stop listening now. The fucking show is over. Also, see you next week on behalf of Revolting and the Cycling Independent. I'm Steve. I'm Revolting.